Blog Talk Radio. Robin Reese, uh, 
educator. She's currently in the classroom, but she has played a lot of roles in education. Uh, Robin, are you on? Yes, I am. Hello, everybody. Thank you for joining us. Um, I have. Thank you. I have a return guest, uh, Teresa Good. Hello, are you there? Hello, everyone. How are you? Hi. Um, Of course, I have DJ Sean. He is in the house tonight. Hi, DJ Sean. Hey, hello. How are you guys doing? Uh, Former educator. All right. uh, Very, very intelligent. Knows a lot about everything. Uh, We're waiting for... Antonio Magaha, who incidentally, the first song that plays on every show, Glass in the Air, that is his his song. And so I am also, I have a, a special guest. Um, I'm waiting for him to get on. He is a parent advocate and currently working inside of the school. If you are listening and there's a particular topic or a particular thing that you want to talk about, drop a comment in our chat, or you can hit me up on Facebook at becomingexcellentb.com. I'm going to play a clip right now of something that... I heard yesterday, and it is it is very interesting. So stand by for this clip. No, y'all, can we talk about it? Can we please talk about it? Let's take a moment to discuss. Let's take a moment to debrief. Let's take a moment to unpack. So I'm not really understanding why they're not telling y'all. Like, we all know that the world is behind, like, you know, globally, like, you know, because of the pandemic and stuff. But I don't understand why they're not stressing to y'all how bad it is. Like, I'm not even trying to be funny, but these kids are... I'm going to just say this. I teach seventh grade. They are still performing on the fourth grade level. I don't care how you flip it, turn it, swing it, swing it, swindle it. they still performing on the fourth grade level. Ain't nobody talking about how they just keep moving, passing them on. They just keep passing them on, 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 passing them on. I can put as many zeros in this grade book as I want to. They're going to move that child to the eighth grade next year. But ain't nobody talking about that. Why they not talking about that? Why they not telling y'all that child... And why don't y'all know that y'all kids not performing on their grade level? Why y'all don't know this? Why y'all don't know? Talk about it. Let's unpack. Because y'all be quick to talk about, oh, the teacher this, the teacher this, the teacher. It's your job, it's your job, baby. I just got here 30 days ago. She was performing on the fourth grade level since fourth grade. Yeah. Why we not talk? Well, let's talk about it. You the teacher. You supposed to be, again, she's been on the fourth grade level since the fourth grade. We in seventh grade now, so you let this child go three years and you never knew. That your child was still in the fourth grade, ain't never left the. Hang it up, flat three. And fourth grade is being nice. I still have kids performing on grade K, one, two, and third grade levels. I can probably count on one hand how many kids are actually performing on a grade level. So just imagine, you don't know that your child been on the second grade level since the second grade, and they now in the seventh or eighth grade. Are you joking right now? And these are future leaders, our future doctors, our future nurses, our future. Please, please. That, welcome to B Radio. 
Um, we've jumped right into our subject tonight. It is on education, the state of education in America. So did you guys listen to that clip? What do you think about that clip? Who wants to go first? Well, this is Robin. I'll, I'll, chi- I'll chime in. Um, go ahead. You know, listening to that clip um, is, you know, kind of mirrors what my current everyday situation is in the classroom. Um, I am teaching eighth grade um, English language arts in a BNF, or what we call a very low-performing school that was about to close um, but was picked up by a private company called Charter Schools USA. Um, and that is the only way the school stayed in existence. They changed the colors, cleaned up the building, hired new teachers, but did not at all change the demographic of students that attend. So I am in a classroom with students. Um, 30% of the students in my classroom are um, on IEPs or 504s. And the majority of them, even the ones that are not on some individualized education plan, are reading way below grade level. And that way below is around some of them um, third and fourth grade reading levels. And they are in eighth grade. So I agree with you that, you know, yes. So for our listeners who don't know the acronym, what is an IEP? What is an IEP? An IEP is a legal document that um, exists through all the states in the United States um, who have uh, public education systems, which they all do. It is called an individualized education plan, meaning that a student has an identified learning disability, and sometimes it's a medical disability that allows them to have a specific educational plan that has been drawn up to meet their needs in the classroom. Um, there can be accommodation plans, which are 504 plans. Um, like, for example, a student can, um, in order to take a test, they may need to take that test in a small group setting. Um, they can't take a test in a whole classroom. Or they may have to use text-to-speech technology in order to be able to have a test read to them because they have auditory or visual processing issues. Um, so IEPs and 504s are both legal documents in every state in the United States of America. And um, with those plans, usually comes personnel to help execute all of the things that the plan requires. But in low-performing schools like the one that I work in and schools with low resources, sometimes the personnel and the human resources is not attached to that, which makes for a very, very difficult um, uh, – it may, it's just very difficult to, to give the students everything that they need when you don't have people to help you do that. And you said how many how many students um, are on these IEPs? You said thirty percent. You, you 30, put out 30, another thirty-six percent of the school that I teach at, which is about four hundred and ninety-eight kids. Thirty-six percent of those kids are on IEPs and five hundred fours. In my classroom of twenty-four students, that's probably my third period class. About seven of those children are on IEPs and 504s and need specialized education in order to access the curriculum. Wow. Wow. 
Mm-hmm. What did what have you what did you think about that TikTok clip? Now that tip clock tip TikTok clip was was a clip from an actual educator that my husband worked with and he was not making those things up. Um, I, this, this is DJ Sean. I, I, I just want from the clip, I believe that because I'm not going to sugarcoat nothing, but we, we as parents have allowed the kids to use social media as their resources and stuff like that. We don't make the kids read anymore. We don't make the kids, you know, um, when I come, when I came up before we, before we even was able to watch cartoons, my grandparents made us watch the news to see what's going on in the world, read the newspaper, see what's going on. We weren't allowed to watch cartoons. And I think, the social media, the phones, the Xboxes, the Playstations have a lot to do with what this young man was talking about, my opinion, because the parents aren't taking time out and and helping the kids with their homework or understanding what their homework assignment is or being part of the you know, PTA or, or getting to know their the school Somebody teacher. had some background noise in the back. Yeah. That's not me. Yeah, I'm in a quiet space. Yeah, somebody's got the the computer on while while the show's on in the background. Okay. Yeah. That, and that that's just my opinion. I, I, I he's he's right because, you know, I'm old school. So and I think that's uh, that's the issue what he was talking about. Kids aren't getting the proper training home as well too. And I'm not saying a lot of kids do. There is parents that work with kids home, but then there's parents that are just like, oh well, don't even check behind the kids see if they've done the work and stuff like that because social media is more important now. You know, well, TikTok. I, you know, I, I go ahead. It, I see it a little differently, but you know. There are those there are elements of what you're saying that are correct. But if you're I was talking to a teacher today at the school that I work for and they said, Well the the parents aren't doing their jobs. Well, one thing like literacy. Literacy is something that is inherited. Most of the time if your if your parents are literate they're going to make sure that you're literate because they know the difference. But a lot of times, if your parents are not literate, they can't give you the gift of literacy they entrusted to the school system. Uh, I see Antonio. Welcome to the show. Glad to be here. Yeah. Your, um, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Um, Having worked in education for 18 years here in, you know, um, Atlanta, Georgia, I've seen uh, it transition from bad to worse. 
Um, I think there are so many holes in education. I, I, I'm a pretty optimistic individual, um, but there are so many things wrong on the end of the teacher. Uh, as far as teachers are concerned, the school system itself, but it's in parenting. Um, so I think it's a, what the guy was saying was very true. Um, but it's like it's on both sides, and I don't even really know how you weigh if you were to weigh both sides, which has heavier weight, you know, like you said, when you talk about literacy being something that's passed down, um, when you talk about families or, uh, yeah, families, mothers and fathers who have to work countless hours every night and they're not able to be at home with their kids to help them with their homework or even being able to help them, um, to keep tabs on what they're doing on social media. Are you, are you on your computer doing your work or are you on social media? So it's just, it's so many different things. Mm-hmm. When you talk about the educator side of things, um, you know, you have educators who are a part of education, not necessarily because they like kids, not necessarily because they enjoy teaching, but because of some of the perks we get summers off, we get paid in the summer, we get holidays off, you know, um, and I've heard a plethora of educations tell me in passing or in conversation, I do this because of the person, because of the check, you know. Um, and that's not a great, you know, that's not a not a really good idea to be, you know what I'm saying, a good reason to be in teaching, especially when you have kids at your disposal. Um, but you you see that and you see the kids treated, get treated as such, you know. Um, I've heard teachers say some horrible things to kids. Um, not realizing, you know, the damage that they did, you know, and presently and, you know, and not even taking into account how much damage would be done in the future. So it's just a lot. Of, I'm saying all that to say, I know I'm, I'm kind of talking in circles. There's a lot of different things wrong with education on both sides. Um, Antonio, can you um, tell us what uh, what your role is? How do you, your perspective is coming from where? So I presently work um, with a nonprofit organization here in Atlanta called Communities and Schools Atlanta. Uh, my title is site coordinator, and my job responsibilities are um, essentially to go into the school um, to find kids. I have about 65 kids on my caseload that I, that I provide supports and service to each year. Um, and essentially what I do is I monitor their attendance, make sure that they're attending school consistently, and if not, we try to figure out what the barriers are related to them not attending school consistently, and we try to work through those barriers. We also provide academic support. So if they're in need of tutors or things of that nature, we provide uh, connections with tutors. Um, And some of us actually do tutoring ourselves. Um, And we also do mentorship groups, small mentorship mentorship groups, monthly or weekly um, with each of those students. So basically, you know, what I'm doing is with my 65 students is just making sure that they stay on task, they stay on point, and that any barriers that may come up that may prevent them from being successful throughout the school year, we try to help them get over those barriers. We also, we provide emergency uh, funding assistance for families who get behind on rent, who are borderline homeless, or who may need uh, food, or who may need clothing. We provide that as well because we also know that, you know, if a child is at home and they're potentially um, in a position to be homeless and don't have food or, you know, don't have clothing, then that's going to definitely affect how they, how well they concentrate in school and, you know, how well they um, they produce while they're at school. So um, the thing that I oh. love about my, 
I'm sorry. Hello. No. Yeah. Go go ahead. The thing that I love about my position now is it allows me. I mean, I again, I worked in education in different facets uh, for 17, 18 plus years, but this particular job allows me to help to provide tangible help, not just to you know I'll get back to you or I'll see what I can do, but I have access to resources. I have access to a, a budget that allows me to really be able to be a, a, a real support. Uh, for the kids that are, you know, that are in need. Okay, a budget, a budget. Um, working in the school system, a budget is something that is always talked about. There's plenty of talk about how much the school <laughs> doesn't have and how much the students can't get what they need because of the school budget. Um, I'm looking at a call, 770-722. Hello, caller. What what do you have to say on our conversation tonight? Hi, this is Dr. Wanashe Watkins. Hi, are you? I'm just listening. Um, I don't have anything to add at this point. Great dialogue. Okay. Hi, Dr. Watkins. Thank you for listening. Okay. We're going to take a small music break. Uh, DJ Sean talked about the technology when we come back we're going to talk about how technology is affecting our students um, in schools today I can make you put your 
phone down Probably wouldn't even know how to unlock it I could make it put your phone down See, friend, call the fuck, forget him. I could make you put your phone down Your mama probably think you out of this And I can make you put your phone down But the younger people, it is how they communicate with their parents. It is all that they know. And so what I see to be a problem is there is no bridge from the old school way to the new school way. And it is because it's a problem. The students are on in social media during the day. They're trying to do TikTok. They are doing uh, Instagram. They are... They're not on Facebook. That's for older people. But they are doing this constant Internet thing because that's all that they know. And they are getting yelled at and they are being punished for the society that we have created for them. Um, I'm going to, Teresa, what do you have to say about the Internet? I, I think the Internet is just another set of problems that, the inner city education system finds itself in. I think that it's more, I think if you go into different school systems, you will see how they've been able to incorporate technology and how to deal with technology. But the problem is because our kids are so far behind. And that's just because of all, I mean, systemic racism is one of the main issues that we're dealing with here. And we continue to deal with it decade after decade after decade. I was going to ask Antonio, who pays his salary because if every inner city school system could put their resources, if it was possible, if America understood that we are in a state of emergency when it comes to education of our children, then they will put in the money to hire people like Antonio to do that particular job so that they can make that bridge between home and school and make sure that what parents need at home they get and what students need at school they get. And when we see them starting to fall behind, we don't want to wait until they're in the seventh grade and we have to hear that young man on TikTok talk about how they have a third grade education and that parents knew since they were in third grade. If we don't put our resources towards these people to get in there and to be the assistance that these inner city school needs, then we're, ne- we're going to just keep going around and around and around. Because how do you deal with the internet when your, your heat's barely working or it's freezing in your classroom or the windows are broken or there's mice? There's so many problems that schools have to deal with before they even get to the gap between the have and the have not. Well, I have heard people talk about um, that that's not the school's problem. Your, your problem at home is your problem at home and that you need to do what you need to do to make sure that your kid – has the things that they need, and it's not their problem. And it is the poverty is a major problem, and it's getting worse in America because 
what inflation, groceries, rent is at an all-time high. I know in Atlanta, we went from when I lived here 30 years ago, I paid, I lived in an apartment that was $350, and it was a great apartment. But now rent is $2,500, and the jobs here in Atlanta aren't paying in in relationship to the outgo doesn't match the income, if I can say it like that. So, and so oh, go ahead, Sean. So, what was the reason for the No Child Left Behind Act signed for to help the school system get the right resources to keep these kids educated and get educated in, in, in different states and cities? What was all that for? And, 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 and you can't get the resources. That's crazy. I don't understand Ronnie, that. You want to address that? Uh, yes, I I can address that. Um, I think that, you know, No Child Left Behind is like any of these other, you know, political initiatives and all the things that we put out there that ends up being more talk than walk. Um, I think No Child Left Behind looks good in affluent school systems, um, one of which I happen to have worked in most of my career. Um, but in the school system that I am in now, that is a, a school that is um, – that is racked with uh, poverty and um, students who are, you know, really, really have experienced a lot of trauma. You know, we're now having a conversation around trauma-informed education, No Child Left Behind, and all those other education initiatives that we've heard over the years really don't mean much without the dollars and the human resources to back them up. Um, so, it, you know, and I hate to, well, I don't, I, I won't say I hate to, I, I am probably being incredibly raw about that because this is a real raw subject for me right now because I have seen the other side. I spent 20-plus years in a school district that had everything, um, and money was not an issue. And when money is not an issue, then no child is, you know, there is no child left behind. Even the students of color that are in those districts managed to get and hold on to the resources that that district can provide. But when you are in a school district like the one that I am in now, where the majority of the parents of the children that you are educating have no more than a high school diploma and some a GED, we're not talking that level of resources. And the government and all of their idea, ideas about these initiatives are not pumping that kind of money into those school districts. So. Um, I, I'm a longtime educator who really, you know, kind of has a, a, as a little, you know, I have a little edge around, you know, these big um, government initiatives around education because none of them serve the populations that they are intended to serve. But by law, are they not supposed to, that, that, that those, that's supposed to be funded by the state, by law depending upon which state, and it will be interesting to see whether or not Florida, because there are certain states, and I just learned this today about Rhode Island, because I live here in Rhode Island, but in Massachusetts, um, there is a constitutional amendment that says that children are guaranteed 
by, by constitution, the right to an education. Not all states have that. I'm living in a state right now in Rhode Island where it's not a constitutional right for children to have to have an education. So it's all Wait, up to the different what? states. You said yes, it's not it's a constitutional right? No, it is not. You've got to look that up. There, Every single state, see, when the everybody wants to talk about the Board of Education, you know, unequal but separate, separate but equal, all that kind of stuff, and, you know, all that went into that particular case. But there was another case that was out of, um, I want to say, Texas. And out of the state of Texas, there was someone who who sued in Texas. you got to look it up. I don't know the exact versus whoever. But what it basically did is that it allowed states to then be able to determine state by state whether or not it is a constitutional law for children to have education. So it's up to the states. Okay, because I, so I just in Mass- looked so at, in, I in, just, so in Mass- so, go ahead, I'm sorry. I just looked up, and it says, while education may not be a fundamental right under the Constitution, the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment requires that when a state establishes a public school system, no child living in that state may be denied equal access to schooling. So that's changed? They they have equal access, but it's not a right. You have to look it up. You have to there's there's a loophole in there, mm-hmm. and not that it's not that there's it's going to change anything for any other states because of course all states are giving public education. But the bottom line is that okay, so let's take Massachusetts for instance and the particular school system that Robin was talking about. The school system that she's talking about is a school system that is one of the wealthiest towns in Massachusetts. Now. The African-Americans that were growing up in Boston in the late 60s, they understood that they were not getting the same education. It was separate, but it was not equal. And because Massachusetts had put it into law that it was a constitutional law that all children have to be educated, they came up with this idea called METCO. And what they did is that they began to bus their African-American children out to the towns and out to the cities that had the resources and had better educational services, Robbinstown that she used to work for being one of them. At this time now, after it's been going on for 40-plus years, there's probably, what is it, Robin, about 25 towns that are in the suburbs or so where African-Americans from the inner city in Boston, and they cannot be denied. As long as they're in this system and they're in this program, they sign their kids up at birth. So that these Boston parents who are growing up in a system where the schools are broken and there's all these plethora of problems, they can take their child and they can put their child in a school, in a public school system out in a suburb that makes enough money to be able to educate their child. Well, I, I just want to say this real quick. Um, the ten, the ten states, the ten states that were given waivers from No Child Left Behind law. New Jersey, Massachusetts, Tennessee, Georgia, Florida, Kentucky, Indiana, Colorado, Minnesota, and Oklahoma are the first group. Wow. But then you have Wisconsin and the District of Columbia are the first of all 50. Well, Wisconsin is the first of all 50 states with 98% of its school schools achieving no child left behind. Achieving no child left behind? Yes. I wonder how they evaluate that achievement. 
Well, that's been that a conversation be in the schools that, you know, in the in the district, uh, the program that Teresa was talking about, the METCO program in Massachusetts, um, one of the things that has been on the table for many, many years as that program has existed is um, the racial academic achievement gap. Um, and so when you start talking about states like Wisconsin, I'd be interested, too, to know a little bit about what they consider um, no child left behind, what they consider actual success. Because while you're busing inner city students to white suburban school districts, we are not taking into consideration that, that the inner city school that they're being bused from, or that school district is having some feelings about, quote unquote, what they feel are their best and brightest being shipped to the suburbs. And the suburbs mm. is having a conversation at the same time about why these children aren't performing at the same level as their white counterparts. So when you begin to factor all of those different things in, schools that are very affluent and who have a lot of financial resources get to have the conversation about race. When you are in schools that are underperforming and poor, you get to have the socioeconomic conversation. And race doesn't even come into play because you don't have time to discuss it. It's not the, wow. it's not the primary issue that is on the table. When a kid can't afford a pencil, you know, or when, you know, when teachers are spending their own personal money to make sure that kids have school supplies and those kinds of things versus mm -hmm. suburban types, types of school systems where you can walk into a room anytime you want to during the school year and get anything and everything that you want out of that room. The conversations are very different. So success in Wisconsin and whatever that school district might look like or academic um, achievement, I would love to know more about what those demographics are and what they're actually measuring. Absolutely. Um, because, yes, absolutely. Yeah, because the, the measurement, the measure mm -hmm. there would be very important to know. And there's also something called fair and appropriate public education. Um, and so even when Teresa was having the, you know, Teresa was just talking to us about, you know, states that don't necessarily have to give um you know, an education is not an entitlement, you know, that every state has to give an education. All school districts that have a public school, though, are required to offer what is called fair and appropriate education. And to this day, I'm still trying to figure out what fair and appropriate education is in poor black school districts like the ones we're talking about tonight. Well, and working well, if you have 36% of kids on IEPs, then how do you, who takes care of those IEPs? those kids that are on the individual ed plans. Who does that? Wow. In my school, nobody's doing it. <laughs> exactly. Well, if you're on an IEP, those are things that are supposed to be mandated. Like you, uh, a parent can sue a school system if, exactly. if their child is not getting the appropriate um, accommodations for whatever those IEPs are. But oh. The interesting thing about that is, um, and we're going to take a break in a second, the interesting thing about that is parents don't know. So what you, you don't, right. what, you you don't, what you don't know about, mm -hmm. you, can't, you can't enforce, you can't demand. You are listening yeah. to uh, B Radio, Lifestyle Radio. I am your host, Letitia Dorsey, and we're Letitia. going to take a, yes. Real quick, can I can I jump real quick? And then you have states such as Arizona, California, Virginia, Pennsylvania, who are required to identify gifted students and pro and provide them with the proper education. 
So well, and that's that goes, IQ that goes 120. Along, that goes along. You, they're not, but they're not IQ testing kids these days. They they really aren't, unless a parent is requesting something like that. Your kid could be a genius, and no nobody would ever know. Oh, don't I know? <laughs> our our call in number, if you are listening online, is five one six four five three nine one one zero. Call in to have your opinion talked about. Give us a second. We'll be right back. Trying to get a word for this burden I've been toting All the scriptures I've been quoting All the affirmations spoken ain't going how I was hoping They tell me stay strong but they don't know That I've been holding up so long I'm about to let go of the rope Let go of the hope that it's all part of the plan I'm cracking under the pressure Getting harder to stand Know the heart of a man can only take so much We all holler, keep it real And yet we fake so much Why we all gotta suffer if our father God love us And if it's on purpose how we measure if it's worth it Shining on the surface underneath it feeling worthless but life ain't ever perfect Through the pain and pitfalls Know we all gotta go Sometimes the only answer you have is I don't know your so-called friends would do. 
or I have an intention. And what you have is an extension of my grace. And if you would only seek my face, then I would in turn keep you safe. Keep my pace. There is no need to rest this race. There are no losers in my will. Only purposes fulfilled and broken souls here. Supernatural begins where natural ends. And I am infinite. And I desire for us to be intimate, but only if you're interested. You are my handiwork, my masterpiece. And whatever you don't know, all right. You can find it. Where you going? Welcome back to B Lifestyle Radio. That was Don't Know by Antonio Magaha and Creole King. You can find all of our music on iTunes, YouTube, any of the music you hear uh, this evening. So we, there's a lot of problems. We have talked about a lot of problems. What I want you all to talk about right now is why, as a parent, do you think it's important for you to understand the educational system, the, the, the ins and outs of the educational system? Why is it important for you all, why is it important for parents to understand what's going on? Uh, why can't I just drop my student off, my child off at school in pre-K and pick them up in the 12th grade? Yes, I think it's very important. I'm sorry. Go ahead. It's extremely important for a parent to be involved and in the know mm-hmm. because you you should be your child's strongest advocate. Yep. You know, at the end of the day, the unfortunate thing just to kind of touch on what you were you guys were talking about before we left off when you talk about um I, you know I worked in special education for a number of years and I'm very familiar with IEPs. 504s and things of that nature, what happens a lot of times on the administrative side and teacher side of things is a lot of these parents get intimidated um, and they don't correspond um, and provide the information for a lot of these parents like they, they, they should. So, you know, you could have been put on a 504 plan, which is mandated, you know, by, by the state or, you know, by the, the board to for you to get you know, certain resources and certain supports, supports. But if the parent has not been made knowledgeable about that, they wouldn't know. And I, firsthand, I just found out in my school this past week, a child has been having since, I mean, fourth or fifth grade has been having issues. He's with us now, and they just found out he's with eighth grade now, and they just found out this year that he had a 504 plan. Somewhere what? between him coming from middle or elementary school to us, somebody didn't either communicate to the administration and to his teachers that he was on this plan. They just found this out, and they're in the process of potentially putting him out of school because he's out of control. But he has all these supports that he's supposed to be provided that nobody knew about, including his mother. Wow. I thought that parents were – that you had to have a meeting. Well, well, you're supposed to have a meeting, but if you have a meeting, like I was saying a few minutes ago, when you don't have a strong series, uh, a series of checks and balances and everybody making sure that everybody is doing what they're supposed to, balls get dropped. 
You know what I mean? There, there are things that d- just don't happen. And, you know, if a parent is not in the know and they don't know who to go to or they don't know who to ask or they get intimidated, like I spoke about a few, few minutes ago, then they'll leave you thinking that they have all the information that they're supposed to. Because a lot of these individuals don't want to be held accountable or responsible for the things they're supposed to. So if I don't give you all the information and, and, you know, hope and trust that you don't find out, then I don't have to be responsible for providing those supports and resources. Well, back when I was in school, we had what was called a guidance counselor. The guidance yeah. counselor was supposed to inform your parents on what, the, the, you know, your your child's, you know, pretty status. much your child's status, the history, Correct. the test scores, everything, where he, where he or she ranks at. You know, they're supposed to sit down with your parents. I think they need to take, you know, higher, you know, need to be bumped up in grade or, you know, left back, you know, to catch up. You know, that's yeah. what they, and I don't even know, do they have guidance counselors anymore? Do they do they, they have they, that before? They have counselors. They yeah. have counselors. Oh, okay. Counselors exist, but unfortunately, because of the vast number of responsibilities and duties and not to make excuses, Counselors, in a lot of instances, end up doing everything but counseling because I need you over here to do this. I need to pull you for this committee. I need you to be over here doing this. I need you to be doing this. So by the time you get back to your desk to do what's your, you know, what your job description is, you might not have the opportunity or time to do so. So, you know, you have the, 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 the title of a, you know, a counselor, but you're probably doing 95 to 96% of the things you're doing are not related to what you're supposed to be doing, unfortunately. Let's add COVID to that mix. Yeah. What does your What does your exactly. school look like, Robin? COVID. What does it look? Duties, um, bodies in the building, lack of bodies, lack of uh, personnel. Are you experiencing that where you are? Absolutely. Um, right now, our guidance counselors and our um, the, the couple of paraprofessionals and teaching assistants that we do have, they're actually um, in the classroom as classroom teachers because wow. um, we have such a shortage of actual teachers um, in the building. This is one of those schools where, um, of course, it is low performing academically, but um, there are there is a large number of behavioral issues and um things that have traditionally made this particular school unsafe and have made adults feel unsafe, so not a lot of people want to teach there. We do not have a sub-pool either. Um, there are a couple wow. of um, long-term subs in the building, but um, they are in the, the district. Cambia County is in the process of uh, using the sub-pool and that if you're going to be a part of the sub-pool for Escambia County, one out of every three of your substitute jobs has to be done in this particular school. That's the only way we can actually even get subs in the building. Um, so wow. there is a lack of human resources um, in addition to some lack of financial resources. And the shortage of teachers pulls away the support staff as, um, you know, as the gentleman was saying, you know, it pulls away the support staff. And so you have guidance counselors that are doing every other job in the school except the one that they've been hired to do, which is to counsel and inform parents. And this is in Rhode Island? No, this is in Florida. I oh, Florida. Okay. relocated to Florida, so I'm in Florida on the panhandle. And, oh, wow. Um, Y'all yeah. catch a hell down there anyway. 
Yes, yes, we 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 are. And um, I just recent I just moved here this school year, and after many years in administration, went back into the classroom. And um, since I've been in the building, we've had probably four or five teachers who have just decided at the end of the day that they're not coming back. It's, it's what? No, yeah. That sounds like last year uh, in the school that I was working, people like they just decided again, like she just said, at the end of the day, it could be in the middle of the year. It could be, well, uh, I think one person quit two day, two weeks into the school. They were like, I, I can't do this. I'm not doing this. And if you inside of the building, you understand why you can understand why that they are just making that choice for themselves. Did some someone else was someone about to say something? Well, I was just gonna say absolutely. I I've had those days. You know, recently I've I've had those days. I've had days where um, I have come home so tired and so exhausted that I've contemplated not going back the next day. Um, and I've had days where I literally, after you know, the kids walk out of the classroom, it it has been such an exercise in uh, self control uh, that I just feel like crying. So. There, there are a lot of things that you face as a classroom teacher that, um, you know, it, I said to myself this morning, teachers should be, while we are some of the lowest paid professionals, we should be the highest paid professionals. Mm-hmm. And you've been teaching really and how many years now? And you, how many years have you been in education? I've been in education almost um, 30 years, almost 30 so- years now. So you are a, a a seasoned professional, and you feel like walking out of the door. Yes, absolutely. And I always had the dream after working in a wealthy suburban district for all of those years. You know, I had a desire to work in an inner city school where I could work with kids that look like me, and I think representation is important. You know, so I wanted to be around kids who, you know, I could influence and whose lives mirrored mine at their age. Um, but uh, I don't regret that, but I will say that I am experiencing and learning very, very different things that I had not known working out in the suburbs. Well, so, what part of what part of Florida are you in, uh, Robin? If I can ask. Yes, I'm in Pensacola. Pensacola, okay. Okay. Wow. Um, I know that at the school, uh, we have a lot of new teachers. We have a lot, a lot of new teachers, brand new teachers that look like they, at the end of every day, they are literally in tears. Um, I, the school that I work for is a middle school and middle school is already a challenging, no matter what year, Mm -hmm. no matter what time middle school has been challenging because of the, where where children are adolescent in their adolescent development. But now post COVID, we have sixth graders who can't write. I, if I could show you some paperwork where the students cannot, they write like kindergartners because during COVID they were in the second grade. Mm. Well, I, I just wow. want to say I'm one of those ones that uh, went four years college and and degree in physical education. 
So I said, well, I'm going to be a PE teacher. You know, did that, got hired, and that got hired, stayed for about mm, 90 days, and I said this. I said, forget this. The kids was just <laughs> worse. No, I walked out the door. I did walk out the door. I didn't come back because Wait, was, in the middle of the year? In the middle of the year, I did, in the middle of the year. <laughs> uh, because... And it, and this was the early 90s. This was the early 90s. Yeah, early 90, 90, 92, 93. That, that school year, 92, 93, I left. And I went into, you know, what I've done for till I retired uh, a year ago was, you know, a college football referee. So, and but then I came back when I moved to Carolina I went back and and worked in a um, charter school, and it was even worse than a charter school. Kids wow. out of hand, you know. And I and I told the woman back. I, I told the woman there, I can't do this. I can't do because you can't you can't defend when you defend yourself. You're wrong. And I'm yep. the type that I'm not gonna let nobody come in. My, you know, get in my space and this and that. And I just keep from going. You know, keep from going to jail. I just left. And it's uh, yep. I'm one of those ones that walked. Yeah, I can say I did. Yeah. Well, I, I think that to know for people to know their limit, and if you have never worked in the school, you have no idea of mm-hmm. the stress. You have no idea of the requirement. You have you think you're shipping, you know, little Timmy and little Poo Poo off to school. They especially this day and age, they don't have manners. They nope. don't know how to act. They do not, they are not instructed on the proper way of how, how do you conduct yourself in school and why do you come to school? So you're coming in, you're telling, I had a young gentleman two, a couple weeks ago, he gets out the car. Um, I have morning duty. He gets out of his car. He's already late. We're holding the door. So myself and the resource officer, we're saying, hustle, hustle, you guys, hustle and come on. He looks at me in my eye. Now, he is about four foot two. Looks at me, and he says, you ain't tell nobody else to hustle. So I, I was, I looked, and I was like, what? what? I, you didn't tell nobody else to hustle. I said, but I told you. Well, why? So I kind of went back and forth. I, I went against my rule and went back and forth with the little little young man. Mm. He did not stutter. He didn't. He wasn't scared. I I I just I I just was okay. All right. I'm gonna let you have it, little boy, because it's not worth it. It's not worth it. And you try to call parents. Parents mm-hmm. they don't respond until maybe a phone is taken, and then they're calling up, cussing you out. You took my my daughter's phone, and I. But if you call in and talk about grades or talking about behavior. They cannot be reached. Well, they don't have time for that. They don't have time for that. And so people think that teachers and people inside of the school building should just put up with anything. And it, it really comes down to it's just not it's not even fair. Can I say this? Uh, and I don't want to rub nobody wrong. Schools are nothing but a, a daycare for some for some stu- for some kids. Nothing but a daycare. That's all. I just want to put that out there because I, I went through that. So I know it's nothing but a daycare. 
you're you're not you're not probably not rubbing anybody wrong. It's just the truth. Um, the thing is, <clears throat> anytime you stick 35 plus kids in a classroom with one teacher on 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 a daily basis, what like what what do you? And we're talking about each of those kids on different academic levels. You know, um, a plethora of them having behavioral issues. Uh, you know, no social skills and things. And what do you expect to happen? So I think at the end of the day, we really have to understand, especially in our neighborhoods, um, this is really a setup for failure. You know, yeah. it's a setup for failure. They're not, the intent is not for these kids to be educated. The intent, and I'm talking about from the people, the higher ups, the people that we don't see, the people that you never see, that, that, that make all the rules and all the, the laws that never step foot in the classroom, who are never in the trenches. Like the goal for me, to me, is to, is for this thing to completely fall apart. And, you know, as it falls apart, you can see our young men and women in prison or dead, um, you know, because I think what's the statistic that they've been talking about for years on end? If a, if a young man or young woman doesn't, they're not able to read by whether it's fourth grade? It's the fourth, if they're not, uh, traditionally, if they're not able yeah. to read by the fourth grade, then, then it is a setup headed. for prison. They're set and up for prison. The, and even when you look at the structure and the way that the kids are um are are dealt with on a daily basis, you're walking down a hallway in a line. I mean literally stay on the brown square all the way down the hallway um till we get to the cafeteria, turn left when you get to, you know, a certain point in the hallway. Where do they do that at? That's they that's the kind of uh, behavior um or rules that's exhibited in prison. So even with that, you're teaching, you know what I'm saying, without it being, you know, known, you know, um, explicitly, you know, to the child that you kind of teaching them or training them to, to for prison. You can't be, you got to be quiet as you walk down the hallway. You got to be quiet in the, in the, mm-hmm. in the cafeteria. You know, they don't have a lot of time for, 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 to socialize, you know? So, you know, it's just, it's all, it's all crazy. It's all whack. It's all whack. It's, the whole thing needs to be completely um, pulled apart and destroyed and, and, and put back together again because it's not working. It's not working. I agree. Working. I agree. Caller, I agree. Um, 770, caller, what do you, you want to speak? No, I was just listening to everything that everyone was saying, even going back to the No Child Left Behind Act, which was really, in my opinion, designed as a way of failed attempt to hold schools accountable for students' performance. Mm-hmm. I know here in the state of Georgia, you know, schools got grades, teachers got um, evaluation performances were linked to it. That's why you saw a lot of the cheating and things that took place um, here in Georgia in, in terms of that. But mm-hmm. um, And I had the pleasure of working with Ms. Johnson in, in a particular school district that I have over 30 years of experience as a counselor and currently working at Central Office. Um, and the the question mm-hmm. the gentleman had about the guidance counselors, though I can only speak for Georgia's change because, number one, they're not guidance counselors anymore. They're considered to be school counselors because they didn't want the sole focus to be on the vocational side of things. One of the things that, as a counselor, we advocated for real strongly was for us not to have those split duties where you were pulling us you know, left and right, so we could focus on those things such as academic success, career readiness, students' mental health. Um, here, I don't know about in other states, there's this big buzz about the mental health component of um, what mm-hmm. our students are dealing with. 
Mm-hmm. I have a little bit of mixed emo- mixed emotions about that, just to be transparent, because I think what the schools see is a reflection of the community and the society in which we live. There's a lot that left in the world in which we live, and I don't know how we can think in the school we're going to be immune to that. You know, mm-hmm. I can only speak for me. Back in the day, if I misbehaved, um, correction didn't necessarily come directly from my parents. It could have been from people in the community that would have said something to me in addition to my parents, you know, supporting that process. So we're missing some of that. Um, I think the key to experiencing success is building strong relationships. Again, I worked with Ms. Johnson in a school district where there was a key core of educators that truly, truly were vested in students. There was nothing that those kids need that they weren't willing to give to them. Even that hard conversation that we now try to steer away from, that we would have those conversations with those kids. I think it's going to have to go back to some of that relationship building because you're correct. A lot of the parents had bad experiences in school. So then I kind of come to the school. Some of them really don't know, as we talked about with the IEPs, the 504s, and all these acronyms, they don't know what to ask. That's why, as educators, we have to advocate and make sure that the parents understand and speak in terms that they understand. Sometimes we don't realize when you're saying an IEP. They might know their child is in special ed, but they still don't know what an IEP is. Right. Um, in many cases, schools need to really work at having uh, components that advocate for parents' rights as well. We talk about advocating for students, but we need advocates for our parents so they will know how when they come to central office and see someone like me, how do they advocate for what they think is best for, you know, Mike, who the school district principal is just sick of seeing him in the office, so now all of a sudden he just wants to get rid of him, so he's putting him in the alternative school. The parent needs to know, you don't sign a waiver. You need to go to the tribunal hearing and advocate and hear all the evidence against your child. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and again, it's just having those components in the school that advocates not only for students, but also that advocates for parents. Um, We're a little... um, behind time in in terms of um, some of the resources that we need. You can have all the technology in the world. You can have all the money in the world. But if you don't have a caring, kind, loving adult that has a child's best interest at heart, it's a waste. It's a waste. We've seen the No Child Left Behind. Now we have the Every um, Student Succeed Act. We come up with all these initiatives. All the bottom line is. We need people who genuinely care about kids, kids. who want to see students reach their full potential, not what you think. I've experienced it as an educator, as an educated woman with my two male sons, where my child, who was gifted, was told, fire to go a different route. If I wasn't his parent, Listen to what that teacher said to that, that to that young man. Mm-hmm. But I know what it's like on the receiving end because the teacher did not realize, although we're in the same school district, she did not realize that that black young man you were speaking to, that was my child. 
Now, the tone changed as soon as she realized, oh, that's her son. But it should, should, that should not have been a conversation with anybody's right. child. Yeah. So it's Marie. those types of things that, you know, I, I, you know, again, and I'm in a position where parents are getting a lot of trouble because the way I advocate, some people that mm-hmm. don't look like me don't <laughs> understand. But mm-hmm. that is what my duty and responsibility is because I have a gifted child and I have a, a child who's been served by special ed. So I've got it on both ends of the spectrum. So I get it as a parent, and I get the frustration as a parent when you're trying to advocate. And I'm raising male students. So that's a whole nother animal. And then when you look at our school system, what do you see? You do not see a lot of African-American males. Right. You, mm-hmm. you really do not see a lot of African-American males. And I'm a firm believer that they do need to see that as well. So the, the dialogue was just, um, this evening was just um, wonderful. Um, I was trying to just listen and not chime in and <laughs> give my little, two, my little two cents. But everything that everyone has said um, definitely um, is something that I think we all need to, in our various roles, make sure that when possible that we can advocate. Now, I heard a, a, the gentleman say he did 90 days and, you know, he was going to quit. If you haven't read the article, Quietly Quitting, um, I, I get that. Now, I've been over 33 years, so that, that's something totally different. Um, and I've seen some great things that happen in the school districts. I don't want to say that everything that's being done is not being uh, it's not positive because I've seen some great work. Again, uh, Ms. Johnson was a, a godsend for our, our, our little small community with our kids out there. So there are a lot of great teachers who want to see great things and they get burned out. I think it also has to go back to the universities. They're just not preparing this new generation of teachers coming in the classroom thinking that it's going to be one way and it's going to be a, a different way. And oh, then we don't want to have the conversations and, and we don't want to have the conversations about, you know, um, in the state of Georgia, there, there are things that now we can't talk about in the classroom. Oh, we have that's to be another. careful about mm-hmm. what we say. In Florida as well. Oh, well, I, I can only speak for Georgia, but all these things are now coming into play. So it does make it a lot um, more difficult to, to, to do those things that you truly are passionate about and what your calling is. But I just hope, um, and Ms. Johnson's going to laugh because, you know, I was saying my, my, one of my children, um, he, he, he's attending um, a university now, and he wants to go in education and actually be a physical education teacher. And I, I kept thinking, oh, no, son, that's not what you want to do. Um, but, I, you know, I, 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 he's passionate because of his experience being a special needs student and the treatment that he received, of which he didn't tell me all about until once he graduated from high school. He never wants to see another, especially a black male, experience some of the things that he's experienced. Oh, wow. So it was, Again, it was really, really great um, information that was shared, great concerns. Um, you know, yes, you know, it's going to take a lot of work. I certainly don't know the answer to how can we resolve the problems in our school district, but I do know it takes having this type of authentic conversations and brainstorming for it to happen. So that so, was just my two cents. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you, Dr. Watkins. All right, we're going to take a, a, a short uh break. 
I want uh, everyone online or everyone who is our, my guest, I want you all to think about this while we have a break. How can we make our educational system better? Like, what are your thoughts on, because we can talk about the problems, and we do talk about problems. You have to talk about the problems. You have to have these authentic conversations. But what do you think will make our education system better? And we are coming right back. 516-453-9110 is our call-in number. Be Lifestyle Radio. We'll be back in a minute. Yo, this is singer-songwriter Antonio Magaha, and you are now tuned in to B-Radio. Peace. Everybody searching for 
Welcome back to B Radio, B Lifestyle Radio. I'm your host, Letitia Dorsey Magaha, and our call-in number is 516-453-9110. DJ Sean, what's what's the deal? Um, the young lady that spoke a while ago about her son special needs I I know I know exactly what he went through because I was a gifted student when I was going through school and I was placed in I was placed in special needs because they didn't at the time I was going through what was it the segregation of the schools schools going through segregation and stuff like that so they, so instead of putting me with the the smart white kids, they put me with you know with the special need kids where I didn't where I wasn't supposed to be at. So I understand what you know what your son what your son is doing what he's trying to do. I I give him two thumbs up and everything you know for doing that what he's doing. But I've been through that, been there and done that. Yep. Wow, it, it, so many of our students get don't get served <laughs> properly. Um, I'm a conspiracy. I'm gonna save my theories. Caller four zero eight eight two one two nine six eight. Did you want to join us to have something to say? Um, yeah, I was just I was just listening right now. This is uh, you're talking about education, I suppose, right? Yes. Is this the uh, advantages of the disadvantaged people? Well, we're talking. We we're we've been talking about all kind of issues. Did you want to chime in? Uh-huh. Did you want to? You, what do you want to say? Um, I'm just trying to figure out where I can get in. I have a lot of stuff, but I mean, I don't know where I can get in. I'm not exactly sure where I can jump in. Yeah, still trying to figure out. Cause I just came in right now, so. Okay. All right. Well, stay with us, and when you would you get an opportunity to jump in like double dutch go ahead right now we're about to talk <laughs> about how can we make our education system better uh teresa go go ahead and go first miss johnson can i um, interrupt before you do that for a quick comment from the gentleman that just spoke if it's appropriate okay go ahead yes i just want to say thank you for that but also it brought to my remembrance another thing that i think we're missing for my child who was served in special education, the school did not pick that up. It's something that just paying attention to my child, I went through an outside psychologist to have the evaluation done for him. So I also think sometimes we miss kids who may need special services, and it might not even be special ed. It might be through the MTSS process identifying some extra things that a child needs, but I also think that's another thing for some of our students, whether it's special education or whether they um, need to um, qualify on the gifted side of things. I think, again, that's part of that conversation that we have to equip parents with, with understanding those things and then understanding that it's okay if your child needs some extra help because we all learn differently. We all have our own talent. So what looks good for one of my sons who is academically strong but have absolutely no common sense. The one who was served through special ed has a world of common sense. Um, so I just want to share that and thank you for that. And I'll make sure I, I share that with him. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, thank you for sharing. Teresa, good. 
what would you say yes. is how can we make our educational system better? What What's your comment? Well, I think the first thing is um, exactly what's happening right now where there are people who are deciding that they are going to give uh, a percentage of their time, whether it's a year or two years or whatever it may be. Those of us who are professionals, who have common sense, who have degrees, we need to get into these public school systems, and we need Mm. to start rallying around and figuring out in these school systems, like right now, there are two represented, represented right here. You've got Georgia. You have a number of teachers that, that are there that are talking up from Georgia. You have one that's right here in Tallahassee. And figuring out what are the laws that are not being provided for for these students. And we need to start, we need to start court cases. We need to, the same kind of movement that other social movements have seen in the past that raised other kinds of economic or racial um, injustices. We need to we need to come together and we need to figure out how we can put some class action suits against some mm. of these states and some of these governments so that we can put the pressure on the kind of resources that are needed. Like for instance, in Florida, you have Governor DeSantis that is talking extensively <laughs> about race and and those kinds of things that are critical race mm-hmm. theory and. A lot, and I'm not saying I agree or disagree, but what I'm saying is that there are other conversations that are, wh- why are we even dealing with race theory if we have seventh and eighth graders that are reading on a second and third grade level? It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. It's, it's irrelevant to those children that are in those public schools in his state that are not getting the funding that they need in order for students to be supported and teachers to be supported. So lawsuits, lawsuits, lawsuits. That's what we need to do. That was good. Uh, let me ask you a question. Do you think that the critical race theory is actually for the underserved um, students or is it for the overserved students so they won't be educated properly? I, I mean, I think that's a whole, that's another rabbit trail. If you want to talk about <laughs> that, we can. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I can extensively mm-hmm. pontificate on that for weeks. But I mm-hmm. do think that there are components of the race critical race theory that I think are very important to educational systems across the board, whether they be suburban, urban, rural, or inner city. All of the above, they all need components of it. Not all of it, but there are major components of it that is definitely needed. That's good. That's good. Um, Antonio, what do you think, how can we make our educational system better? What What is your viewpoint? I mean, I'll piggyback off of what um, Teresa said. I think we, um, in the community, um, even though we may not necessarily work, you know, in the educational system as educators, I think we still have to be involved, um, not, um, you know, just, uh, we have to get involved on, on on a governmental level, meaning, you know, I know when I took a class when I was getting my degree at Georgia State, we had there was a class we took that uh, policy was a class in policy where we we learned how to go down and you know meet a lot of the the uh, representatives and things of that nature, find out what laws were on the books and how they come about and so on and so forth. But getting involved um, in that way from an educational standpoint to know you know how we can you know if lawsuits need to be filed, how we can go about doing that who our legislators are, what they're, you know, what they have in plan for coming um, years and so on and so, so to speak. Um, because, you I'm, know, I'm sorry. Can you, can you pause? Uh, someone has their TV 
um, on in the background. You guys mind muting yourself if your TV is on? Awesome. Thank you. Go ahead. I'm sorry, Antonio. No, that's yeah. That was basically it. Just get getting involved, getting involved. You know what I mean. Being at the local, uh, you know, school board meetings, finding out what's going on, finding out how you can get involved. You know how you can, you know, if, even if it's just, um, you know, being a uh, not necessarily a substitute, but being a volunteer at the school. You know, just getting involved, getting involved. You know, everybody here is educated. Everybody has great ideas. Everybody's seen both sides of what you know. Um, what education brings, and even as parents. So, you know, being able to, to, to get involved and, and implement your ideas and perspectives, but you got to get involved. You got to put legs on these ideas. You know, it's just it's one thing to talk about, and it's another thing to do. So, yeah. Um, I know that there are uh, the gentleman who wasn't able to join us tonight. He got offered an opportunity to be a lobbyist, an educational lobbyist. Right. But there was a, there was a hidden agenda, but in those positions, being a lobbyist is something that I never even considered. It was never presented uh, on a list of things to do. But if we take up, like Teresa said, um, getting in those positions, lawsuits, law, whatever it is, lobbyists, to to make those differences, getting involved, because getting involved, just being at the school. I know there was a some district that had the dads, they decided that they were going to just come and be a presence in the school. Yeah, and that they, was in Florida. It, that was in Florida. It it changed. Yeah. It changed the the climate, the culture of the school. Um, when you listen to radio and TV, you will be fooled to think that dads aren't involved, especially especially dads of color. The school that I work, I work in the front. Uh, where they drop off their kids. I see nothing but black and brown dads dropping their their daughters off. I have one dad who gets out every single morning and opens the car door for his daughter. He gets out of his side, goes around and opens her door. So I have been amazed at what we're conditioned to think is happening. It's not really happening, but like you said, Antonio, getting involved, getting coming together, and getting involved. Uh, uh, Robin, what do you think we can do to make our educational system better? Um, Everybody has spoken so eloquently about policy and legislation and laws and lobbying, and I 100% agree that that is what we should be doing. But if I can add anything to what I think would make school systems better, there would be two things. The first of them being um, working with our parents in our community around the importance of the classroom mm. and children being prepared to learn mm. in the classroom. Uh, mm-hmm. Basic things. We're not talking academic. Um, we're not talking academic ability or anything like that right now. I'm just simply talking about being able to show up in a classroom and knowing what is what is appropriate and inappropriate in a classroom and coming in engaged and ready to learn. Um, mm-hmm. I remember growing up, um, my mom 
you know, made sure, and I did not grow up with a silver spoon by any stretch of the imagination, nor did I go to schools in, um, you know, wealthy or, or affluent neighborhoods, but my mom was intent upon making sure that we understood school, that we that there is a, a language that talks about, you know, teaching kids, and you usually learn this around second or third grade, is teaching kids how to play school, you know, how to get up every morning, pull your materials together, go into that classroom, um, give the teacher the attention and, you know, the respect mm-hmm. and authority that they have so that you can at least access or at least hear information. Um, we're not talking about whether or not you need special services or whether or not you need additional help and support. We're just talking about showing up every day, you know, and being ready to learn um, the mm-hmm. pandemic. And um, I think social media has taken away the, um, it, it, you know, has taken from children the atmosphere of learning. It's, take, it's removed the atmosphere of the learning environment. And that's what I deal with every day. If I could just get kids to come into a classroom and realize that it's a classroom and not a playground and mm. that this is not mm-hmm. time to socialize and to talk about, you know, what's going on outside of that with your friends. It is very difficult for teachers like myself who want to teach, um, and who would really love to engage, you know, in the learning process with students. It's very difficult to do that when you've got four or five groups of kids in your classroom who just choose to pay you no attention at all. And so I think that is one of the things. The second thing that just dovetails with that is um, a focus on literacy. Um, And Mm -hmm. making sure that our children, particularly our black and brown children, know how to read. Even yes. if we have to take that back um, from, even if we have to share that responsibility with the classroom teacher, um, the, one of the gentlemen said earlier that before we could watch cartoons and before we could do anything, we had to read. We had to watch the news. We had mm-hmm. to engage in something that was going on other than video games, social media, gossip on Instagram and all of that. So while we can talk policy and all those things, that's fantastic. But the children that are coming into classrooms right in front of us, can we teach them how to be students, number one? And then number two, can we partner with classroom teachers in their literacy so that we don't have kids sitting in front of us that are reading at a third and fourth grade level that are 14 and 15 years old? I I would like, I'm going to piggyback on one. I had a conversation today with the reading teacher. The reading teacher has, you know, because they pick out the curriculum. She has been given a curriculum without any training. And everyone knows that she hasn't been trained, and she is just so discouraged because she doesn't want to stand up in front of her class and not know what to do. And I just simply, I said, let me tell you, if I were you, until they come to train you, now, mind you, she's been in this role. This is her second year in this role and not being trained. And it's there are so many in, the discrepancies in education and ball drops. But I said I will go back since our students, our middle school students are at the second grade level pretty much, second and third grade level. I will go back, pull spelling lists, writing sheets, and I would just start there 
until they come and tell you what to do. Readers, small readers, because you can you can get those online. We're gonna to to agree with what you're what you're saying. We're we have to take responsibility. I'm gonna take responsibility. If you're in my class, I'm gonna take the responsibility by hook or by crook and teach you some things that you know you missed out on. And 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 I agree with you 100%, Robin. That we it we have to teach our we we're gonna have to take it over. Curriculum yeah. or no curriculum or whatever, we're gonna have to step by step because what 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 was happening centuries ago when there were these one room schoolhouses and they taught everybody every level every Can right learn. there in the same facts that's. That's that's it. Yeah. And you know, uh you know And went on to black colleges. Yeah. <laughs> went on to black colleges and, you know, like those of you who did, you know. And became doctors and educators <laughs> and principals and lawyers you know. and physicians and everything else. And those folks that's learned right. in, in HBCU. Like, yeah, those mm-hmm. kids learned in one room classrooms with one teacher you know, yeah. who was doing all of it. And now we have all of these resources and it seems like we've gone backwards, but I'm doing the very thing that you're talking about, Tish, is that I'm introducing, you know, various forms of literacy that seem very elementary for middle school students because mm-hmm. not just English, but I think we have to introduce those things and take back the responsibility, you know, of making mm-hmm. sure, you know, I don't want no little black girl sitting in front of me who can tell me more about how to braid hair than she can about how to put a sentence together. Mm. Mm. Yeah, but that's that, because you're vested. Yeah. Yeah, that's because you are vested. And unfortunately, we have a lot of teachers that aren't vested. You know, earlier someone said people going in the profession because they get summers off and the pay. I really want to go to wherever school district that's at, at because huh. in my 35-plus years, that has not been the case. Um, but I do think that is kind of a myth that people have in terms of the field of education in itself. And we haven't done a great job, if we're honest, we've kind of tarnished it as well. It used to be a very respected field where if a teacher Mm -hmm. said something, that was kind of the gospel. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Very true. That's true. That's true. I I, I want to Can I just add one thing to what Robin said um, in terms of just meeting kids at their level? Because if we start to meet them at their level, then, you know, it can get to a place where you're like, if you can't write it down, then you don't know how to do it. Oh, you say you know how to braid hair, you know how to do box braids, you know how to put a lace front weave in. Okay, if you can write it down and you can give it step-by-step, which I've never done and I can do it, then then you've accomplished something. Because right. I don't want you to tell it to mm-hmm. me, I want you to write it to me. So there's something about mm-hmm. this connect that teachers are doing, you know, to, um, taking rap l- lyrics and, and using them in, in mm-hmm. poetry and breaking them down and, and teaching through those lens. This is the kind of ingenuity that teachers are doing, just what Robin's doing right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. And we don't get to teach, unfortunately. Every teacher, in, in all of us that are on this call tonight, every single last one of us, we want to teach the kids that want to learn. But it is it is the responsibility of every teacher to teach the kids that don't. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So how That's we a- do that? you know, is, is where we are in making education better. I want to mm. piggyback off um, lawsuits and stuff like that. And I don't think, I don't 
I think everybody remember back in April, you had 20 over 40 districts across the United States, um, more in California and from Pennsylvania all the way up to um, New York. Um, the not only the the school the school districts, but the parents are are, are helping the school districts to sue hmm. um, to sue Facebook, Snapchat, TikTok because they said that it's creating a youth mental health ish crisis. Mm-hmm. You know the, mm-hmm. the the fighting in the schools. You know the the teachers getting beat up and things like that. Um, so, so that is a good resource to do. I just wanted to throw that out there that, you know, parents are, it is some parents that's paying attention, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, the numbers on that, it doesn't say, but there is 40 school districts across the United States that are trying to sue. In the South, you know, just like in the North, Northeast. Nobody in, in the, the South, South at all. <laughs> nobody in the South. Shocker. From Maryland all the way down to Florida, nothing. Shocker. Hmm. And as far as out to, and it goes as far as from Maryland all the way down to Florida, all the way out to uh, Oklahoma. Three school districts in Oklahoma. And then you got Idaho, Seattle, Washington, a lot in California. Idaho. California. I'm not, no surprise there with California. Well, I'm sorry, it is one school district in Maryland. There is one in Maryland. Yeah. I, you know, I, I the the suing of the schools, as Teresa brought, the class action suits is really something to really think about. It really mm-hmm. is something to think about. But in order to sue, you have to be educated. We have to – adults have to be educated. Um, they have to know – and we have to have lawyers that are on our yep. side and willing to go forward – if you're out there in 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 Radio Land 516-453-9110 and you're a lawyer and you want to get something popping, get give us a call. Drop us a line. Uh, let's see what we can get started. Mhm. Mhm. There is a, oh, there is a school district in in Rhode Island as well on this list too, so just to throw it out there. What's the district? Um Let me see if I can blow it up a little bit. Um, let's see here. Let's see if I can blow it up. Well, if I can, Ms. Johnson, while he's looking at information of, uh, you know, on the business side, I agree with, you know, everything that has been shared and certainly the sentiments of the young lady of, yes, you know, boots on the ground, the basic things doing in the building. But one of the things I think is important that I've seen is that we don't have enough parents paying attention to who they are elected to sit in certain seats on their board. Mm. And I think parents have really got to understand the dynamics of a board and the role of a school board as well. Mm. So that's another component. And what they have to understand is a lot of the policies and procedures that school districts operate under, the, the board votes on those. There are some, of course, that the state and the federal government mandate, 
But I just think them understanding, you know, the different policies and procedures, even knowing where to go look for those policies, procedures, if there's a discrepancy. Someone already mentioned coming to school board members, being active in the school's um, parent-teacher organizations. But I think the key also is to make sure that you're paying attention to the individuals that are sitting on your local board. I I agree. I, I just think that our parents and our, the general population, they don't feel empowered. I, I know for a fact. They don't feel empowered. They don't feel like they have a say-so. And part of it is, for me, what I see is public school education is free. So you have, even though you have skin in the game, your child, you don't feel like you have any skin in the game. I'm looking at um, the graduation rate for public high school students by state, 2019 to 2020. Georgia was 84%. Florida was 90%. Arizona, 77%. New Mexico, 77%. In this day and time, those 70% of students not gra- or graduating from high school, I don't know why we're not at 100%. Well, I do know why, because I went to the system. But the graduation rates, which are things, I'm a graduation coach. This is my second opportunity to be a graduation coach. All of the barriers that happen with the student, students to keep them from graduating from, from high school are there. But some of those barriers are easily remedied. Antonio works for communities and schools. They come with solutions to problems. And we know in America the solution to a problem is generally solved by what? How do we solve problems in America? It's it's a, money. 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 Money, it's money. So it's 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 a game, and we got to figure out how to circumvent this game. We got to figure out because what they'll say within the public school districts, especially low income, if they are not homeowners, the tax, uh, what is it called? The mill, um, yeah, that's it. The what? That's it. That's it. The millage rate. The millage rate. So if you have mm-hmm. a, a, a um, city full of renters who aren't buying into the millage rate, they don't they they rent. They don't understand how their tax dollars. Well, they don't they don't have tax dollars to speak for themselves. So how they've been doing it all these years in education, the higher income neighborhoods, that money goes towards their school system. Mm-hmm. Have you have so, you ever have you read um, Ice Cube's manifesto on education? I've Ice heard Cube of it. put together. Yeah, he put a manifesto together about. It's been probably about four or five years ago, and one of the main proponents of that was to do away with. He he did a link to help everybody to understand that the whole property tax, that whole argument, all of it is racially based, which is why white people's schools are so much better than inner city black schools. Yeah. And so 
he he's he was calling for there to be a complete re identification of all of the funding and not let education be based on those property taxes, which makes it unequal. So these are the things we have to really start to fight for. Mm-hmm. We have to start fighting for the things that are gonna matter for our kids because it's mm-hmm. not going to change. And, and they were saying, I was listening to a, a, an education show earlier today, and they were saying that Massachusetts governor <clears throat> has pledged $10 billion over the next, I think it's 10 years, or $10 million, not $10, billion, $10 million over the next 10 years to try to fix all of the inner city because of this whole thing about there being this constitutional amendment about having to educate the children. And so if you have, so what, it's $10 billion, $10 million, $10 million, I keep saying billion, $10 million over the next 10 years. In 10 years, all those white schools will be so much more ahead of all the, you can never catch up. <laughs> you're never going to be able to catch up no matter how much money you're, you're saying you're going to put into the public school systems that are in these inner city, these inner city projects. It's not going to, how are you going to be able to do that? There, it will always be unequal unless we take a different type of approach of what, like, what Ice Cube is talking about and fighting for that, you know. Tissue there. Oh, she said her computer went out. Oh, no. Yeah, she said her computer went out. Well, I think, I think it's, you know, Robin, what do you think about that whole concept of trying to go legally against the whole, I mean, I know it's a huge mountain to climb, but what do you think about that? Uh, well, you know, Teresa, I, I 100% agree with you. It takes me back to thoughts about the civil rights movement and how, you know, the only way that we got where we got to even in that movement was that we as a community came together and we started, you know, with, with the leader that was in place, many of them at that time, you know, who was leading that really got in the face of the legislators and started to move around policy and making things happen, mm-hmm. you know, on Capitol Hill, you know, that, that's where the, that's where the fight was won. And so mm-hmm. I think there's something to be said, you know, for that. And then you also have, you know, um, you know, Tish put out earlier about, you know, anybody that was listening and attorneys, you know, who want to get involved mm-hmm. Help educators. I think when you think about, you know, Marion Wright Edelman, you know, and people like that for the Children's yeah. Fund and all those people who took their law degrees and put them towards, you know, doing what was best for black children, you know, mm-hmm. and yeah. creating, um, you know, laws that support the lives of black children and black families, you know, is definitely where we need to go. I think, you know, there's a, just as there was a civil rights movement in the 1960s, we need, you know, a civil 1950s, 1960s. We need an education mm-hmm. civil rights movement. You know, mm-hmm. um, we do. I we love do. that. Yeah, the educational we, civil rights movement. That is, we do. 
mm-hmm. you know, because when you went, just as Teresa was saying, you know, about, um, you know, property tax, you know, or whatever, and the fact that, you know, if you can afford to live in a certain place, you can afford a certain kind of education, you know, that yep. is to me an imposition, you know, on civil rights. Right. Um, and you know, if I, we need an edu- we need a civil rights movement dedicated to education, just like the previous one was dedicated to, you know, um, equal rights under the law, you know, removing segregation, you know, um, and all of those kinds voting. of things. Mm-hmm. Voting, voting. So how, how do you guys feel about, um, you know, these new developments popping up? you know, in, in certain areas of, you know, states and stuff like that. And they're giving uh, schools a grade on, okay, this is a school in your district. This is a school that your son or daughter be tending to, but we give, we're giving them a six out of 10 or a seven out of 10. How y'all feel about that? I think Dr. Watkins um, spoke on that earlier. It is, it can be very um, unfair. Yeah. uh, Because Mm -hmm. if you have schools in lower economic neighborhoods that don't have the resources, we, in our school, when it rained a a couple weeks ago, it rained into half of the lockers. It was a mess. And things like that, uh, shoot, Clark got rained out. When you have schools that are lower economic <laughs> and then you have to worry about all these other things uh, aside from just teaching and you don't have the resources and you don't have the people, the human resources, which is extremely necessary, you're not going to do as well. with the. How can I be graded without the same, um, the same things? Why, how can I be graded equally? Or fairly, without it's bricks, trying to br- make bricks without straw. Period. Mm-hmm. 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 Definitely. Which is why, no matter how much money you try to throw at those schools, they're never going to exactly. reach to the level of what these suburban schools are operating on because the property taxes don't call for it. Mm-hmm. Nope. Most of the communities that we're talking about, most of the people that are in the school don't even own property. Right. Mm-hmm. And and all of these are conversations that have to be had on a very, very grassroots level. So, all right, I would like to, you, you're listening to Be Lifestyle Radio. I'm your host, Letitia Dorsey Magaha. I would like to thank all of my guests, um, Teresa Good, Robin Reese, uh, my co-host, DJ Sean, Antonio Magaha, um, Dr. Watkins. I am going to, we're going to put a pin right here. We're going to come back to this conversation with maybe some some more solutions to the problem um, at another, at a, a, a later date. I'm a, would you, I'm would bring, you all? I'm a, yeah, I'm going to bring my uncle on. He's a, he's a, he's down there in the Miami-Dade, uh, educ- you know, he, uh, he's uh I better say Dr. Thomas. He says, you have to call me doctor now. So my uncle is Dr. Thomas. <laughs> oh, um, he's down there in Miami. So I'm going I'm to talk with him tomorrow. And whenever you get another date, I'm going to have him come on. Oh, we'd love to have him. We're going to talk. We're going we're gonna to flush this out. And, you know, sometimes we feel like we're one person and can't make a difference. 
but one person here, one person there, one person there, one person there, that's how it that's how it starts. That's how it gets started. And next thing you know, we're part of a movement that has made a difference. It's part of my destiny is to leave an indelible mark in this world. Um we want you to come and join us next week. We're going to be talking about dads and disappointments, dads and disappointments. Uh, it's going to be a very heartfelt show. We have a number of guests for next week. Um, dads and disappointments, tune in next week. We thank you so much for joining us this week on B Radio, and we will see you next Wednesday. I lost it all My friends My loved ones But in life there's always A chance to grow From the struggle
Yo, this is singer-songwriter Antonio Magaha, and you are now tuned in to B-Radio. Peace.